Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Hello and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa Mickey McGrath, recording 90 miles from Camp Kiev in Nobleboro, Maine, where the Maine Search and Rescue Conference was held in May. Hey, my dad used to live in that town. Today, we're looking at Fido's competition in search and rescue work. Giddy up. Hey everyone! I've been super busy making a costume for kiddo. We're doing a family costume this year. Sir Terry Pratchett is my favorite author. He wrote 41 books in the same world. Suck on that egg, Jar Jar Martin. And he was able to write hilarious and biting satire at the same time with British sensibility that was cutting and engaging. He was unfortunately diagnosed at a very early age with Alzheimer's and eventually succumbed to the disease in 2015, which, but my favorite character in his world was death. He was arguably the most human, especially when he tried to leave his day job to be a people. Hilarity ensued multiple times. In fact, the character that tied almost all of the books together was death's cameos in all but I think two of the 41 books. But lots of books have death as a character. Oh, ho, but how many have the death of rats? A little skeleton rodent, big teeth, and a cloak carrying a little scythe, whose entire job is to escort the souls of dead mice from rat traps, sinking ships, etc. to the afterlife. He was affectionately called the Grim Squeaker, and they had a little raven buddy. Quoth. Get it? Quoth. The raven? Eh? So our family costumes are those three. Those three death migos, if you will. I'll be death, though not seven feet tall as depicted in the books. <laughs> I will be donning a tasteful spirit Halloween death mask and cloak, and will maybe get five foot five if I wear my platform shoes. Kiddo will be going as the death of rats, which, can I just say something? <laughs> what is the point of unfettered capitalism if I just can't buy a 10-year-old, a rat skeleton costume that glows in the dark with glitter on Amazon. (laughs) Like, gosh, must I do everything myself. But in all seriousness, it's been wickedly fun to piece this together, even if I did sit in a basement for far too long without enough ventilation and maybe left some regrettable voicemails in the process (laughs) while making this costume, surrounded by rat skeleton paraphernalia and photos on the internet and multiple screens. I'm fine. (laughs) But it really has come together nicely and she looks good. 
it's taken a few days to get this together and no regrets. Yay, theater background for figuring out what you have to do and what you can do to do the best you can with the tools you have. So kids, do theater. Just do it. Even if you hate the idea of being on stage, people need props and costumes and quick creative thinkers to get stuff done. And speaking of creatively getting stuff done, husband, not the biggest costume guy, not his jam, but kiddo really wanted him to be quoth because she gets wordplay now. <laughs> so instead of making him into a raven, I printed a black shirt that just says nevermore on it and called it good. <laughs> so hopefully you get the reference. If not, go back to Edgar Allen. Oh no, episode from season one and ping me when you do get it. Both were creative costumes in very different ways. Both took brain power to make work. One took a lot more physical power and inadvisable huffing in a basement um, and physical labor. But the other, I would argue, just as good. So what are you doing for Halloween? I cannot wait to hear about your costumes and ideas and quirky wordplay puns as costumes. It'll be fun. So ping me on social media, email, let me know your creative work for the best holiday of the year. Okay, I'm not going to give a ton away in this episode at the top. I'm actually kind of rushing this one as I'm not going to have too much time to do a super deep dive, but I do hope you like it. I don't want to ruin the surprise either, but you're smart. You probably read the title or follow me on Twitter. You will sort this out in the next seven seconds, maybe. Ready? Let's go. It's getting dark. An animal is leading their handler through the rough terrain. The leaves are kicking up in the woods, but the handler is intense despite trying to remain calm. It's critical for the animal to know that the human is in control, is calm, cool, collected as they partner up to search for the missing. Night is falling. The air is getting crisp. The risk of tripping over an unforeseen hole and injuring a leg miles from roads, miles from cell service, miles from help increases as the lumens decrease with the setting sun. But someone is missing. And the search must go on in this land that has been left untouched by humans. Its beauty is its danger. With the temperatures dropping by the minute in the main woods, the light decreasing by the second, the need to find them missing in order to bring them home before succumbing to the elements becomes imperative. Stop. I've been describing a human-animal team in this scenario. My guess, and I, I could be wrong, but my guess is that you are probably picturing a dog, maybe a lab or a bloodhound or a shepherd-type military dog. The animal I've been describing is a horse, not a dog. Horses can find missing people, and I would wager be able to find other things that dogs, and if you've listened to this show for more than a single episode, bees, dolphins, dogs, rats, the list goes on. They can all detect. Like maybe narcotics, or if you take my scent work class, consider teaching your Clydesdale to find clove oil. It turns out, despite scent work being the sport version of cadaver dogs, or dead guy search, and drug detection work, my employer will not give me permission to bring in a dead dude or cocaine, so I have to use something else. <laughs> so in this case, I use either clove oil or birch oil, anise oil, which is effectively the oil version of black licorice, so if you like it, you're my kind of weirdo and cypress oil on a Q-tip. I'd argue the other option is way more fun, but way less legal and super unwieldy. So, okay work, I guess I'll stick to Q-tips. So in 2019, the Maine State Game Wardens were called out for 415 search and rescue operations. 
In 2020, after the world shut down, that increased to 538. Hmm, what were we all doing in 2020? Not going to the mall or hanging out at bars. We were all in the woods that had been essentially untouched until everyone in 2020 went on lockdown. Then we were all Bear grills hiking in our Lululemon and our cute boots on nature trails, or paved areas around a man-made pond, or decided to go off the beaten path to escape the sudden onslaught of all the other humans in the world on trails into actual dangerous and bad idea uncharted territory. These scenarios could range from totally missing to injured to we don't know where they are and it's getting dangerous outside. There is nothing more terrifying than a missing loved one. Especially in today's age where we can track anyone at any time, for the most part, just ask any advertising executive. Okay, here's a real-life example. I said the words tit in reference to the broad grouping of birds, including the main state bird, the chickadee, happens to be a tit. Giggles aside, and I have a very funny story about tits, the birds, within minutes of talking about this funny story about tits, the birds, I was getting third love recommendations on Facebook. Third love, not a sponsor of this show, but good God, the most comfortable bra I have ever sported. Half cup sizes? Yes, please. Um, Especially for my perfectly normal body that has what is probably professionally called a two-sized situation. But the fact that the bra company heard saw, whatever, the tit, the bird joke, and started immediately recommending over-the-shoulder boulder holders is evidence that we can be tracked everywhere. Except in very rural America, northern or western United States, including Maine. And with over 500 humans going missing in the woods in one year, it is important to have handlers and animals who can help save our homies. There are many volunteer groups with tracking dogs, dogs who will sniff the ground, or air-scenting dogs, dogs who are skilled at finding odor in the air, to work together to find missing people, lost kids, Alzheimer's patients who strayed without anyone's knowledge, perhaps a kidnapped one, or someone hiding from violence, the unprepared. We all know this guy, right? Nah, babe, I totally know what I'm doing. Hero that we all know and love. All of them. They all end up missing. These volunteers are honestly saints among us because these calls that come in to have people help us find the missing are never at 2 p.m. on a Friday. No, it's always 9 p.m. or 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. on any day of the week. Those are sleeping times. And those are times that these handlers get up to volunteer without pay to help enforcement, families, and the community find people who are gone. But why limit this to just dogs? If you have a horse who needs a job, why not volunteer? So here are the deets. Horses are taller. And if you're on one, you also have a pretty high vantage point. So if you can see what's up below your mount's snout, you have a higher likelihood of finding someone who might be hiding. They can also use their prey animal instinct for good. Here's the thing. Horses as prey animals need to use air, the information olfactorily, to find water, mates, food, detect changes in the jet stream to find shelter, all of it. Survival. Most importantly, they need to evade predators. And scent is a huge part of their ability to survive. When dogs go out on a scent trail to find a missing person, or an evidence search, or narcotic search, or any search, They're often put in specific harnesses, collars, equipment that tells the dog, hey, you're working now. That way the dog doesn't pee on the trail, get distracted by a cheese dog, whatever. 
This equipment says, hey, dude, you're on the clock. The same goes for horses. They are fit with a particular bit, and that's the metal piece that attaches to the bride, to the bridle, <laughs> not the bride, to the bridle. Their fancy leather headgear that helps with steering a horse, as well as a mask that allows them to drink water but not eat grass while hunting for the missing. As soon as the pony finds the person, they are given a high-value prize, like their favorite cookie or horse hay. The mask comes off and they can graze. A ton of affection from their handler, all of it, all come as part of their reinforcement for finding someone. For the working dogs, surprise is often their favorite toy. When I went on a ride-along for the Menor Police Department outside of Cleveland, Ohio with Officer Ron Gunton and his partner Thunder, I was told working dogs like this need to be ball-obsessed toy-driven. They are constantly chewing on their toy, working for their toy, and when their officer takes it, the dog is working to get it back. Find what we're looking for and you get your prized possession. The same goes for the pony posse. These horses are getting their hookup, the thing that they want most in the world, which is easy to get in many places, a nice place to graze. Unlike a stroll in the woods where the rider is telling a horse where to go, air scenting horses, the horse is in charge. They will go through boulders to get to their find. And what I tell my scent work students all the time, it is equally important to know where something is as much as where it isn't. The other thing I always tell them, always trust your animal. So when the horse is on a scent, all you can do is hold on to the saddle, drop the reins, and let the horse go. Which can be really scary when you are on up to 2,000 pounds of animal running through the woods. While in several articles about the only main teams up for certification this year stated, this is the newest thing in horsedom, this is actually not quite true. It does make a good story, but it's not quite right. Horses used in scent detection are not really new news, though it is gaining traction in the UK, in Canada, and in the United States. It is quoted as being the best kept secret in the horse world. Theodore Roosevelt, good old President Teddy Ruzzi, had Hunting guides who used horses trained to follow their noses to buffalo. He hired them specifically for the horses' noses. This was in the 1800s, so it's been a minute. In 1952, Texas folklorist J. Frank Dobie wrote, Tracking dogs can outperform horses in thick underbrush, but horses often hold the advantage because airborne scent rises and horses stand taller than dogs. End quote. As horses are at least seven feet above the ground, the air swirls, lifts, and does air things. They can hit on rising odor faster than a dog. Whereas dogs are able to sniff out height, it is a little bit more work for them. And as a self-proclaimed shorty, always trying to get the high things, can relate. The way scent cones work, and if you're in my scent three class, hi, thanks for listening. We just talked about this in class last week. The odor spreads more and becomes more dilute the further from the source. Imagine an incense burger or smoke from a candle. I just did this in class. I lit an incense and the smoke was swirling coming off of the burning stick, but the further away the smoke got from the stick, the wider and less defined the smoke was. If I were to walk through that smoke, the smoke blows in every direction, making it harder for the dog, horse, rat, honeybee, whoever, to figure out where the odor is coming from and how to follow it back to the source. So if a horse is working from a scent cone, the likelihood that they will get certain odors before a dog is high. But dogs may be better at older scent, specific scents, etc. 
So don't count out dogs. I would wager it would be difficult to get a horse on a boat to find whale poop for science. There was a story in Oregon Live where a professional horse trainer was helping in locating a missing 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient for three days. How terrifying. That is too long for anyone to be missing. Evidently, the dogs and tracking teams were looking on a trail to the forest to find the missing person, going on what they assumed happened. But on the third day, a horse on the trail just found him. The horse walked up, stopped, snorted, and boom, there he was. Eyes looking down, the rider found a man on the side of the trail. He never made it as far as the woods that the dog teams were searching. Y'all, the guy lived, thanks to this horse and rider just stumbling upon this guy. And as a result, books have now been written on air-scenting horses. There's a website, equine detection services, clinics, all of it. Not only can horses find missing people, but they can also be trained to find elk antlers, wild moral mushrooms, marijuana plants, which the article said illicit marijuana gardens, but it's Oregon. I'm not sure how illicit they really are in Oregon. I'm pretty sure everything's legal in Oregon. And more. Once you teach a horse to start looking for the scent of the missing or whatever, they will just drive to it, which is incredible. It's hard to hold them back. They cover much more ground in a shorter time than a dog can, and they can do more with their stride. Plus, and this is the most appealing part to me personally, the human doesn't have to run, which, as a self-proclaimed lazy person, sign me up. I don't want to chase a dog on a scent. That's hard. They're fast, and they go through mud and stuff. The horse does all the work. (laughs) And this is getting new traction. Of course it's highlighted in a conference. The Maine State Search and Rescue Conference, which was held in May 2022, had a few classes dedicated to equine SAR work, which is serious work. What I wouldn't give to sit in on the Search and Rescue Conference. I love SAR work, but for a non-SAR person, I did have to giggle at the titles and placement of some of the conference events. Ahem. Session 1. Drugs in the Dining Hall followed by session two, human remains, also in the dining hall. (laughs) There is man tracking one and two, which may have been more useful for me in college. Dinner is in the dining hall after all the drugs and human remains have been cleaned up. There was was a fitness test scheduled for 6 a.m. on Sunday with a question mark printed next to it because we all know no one parties like a search and rescue party. The horses are on ketamine, the dogs found. The people lost Bob in a gully as part of an exercise and are still trying to get him back without telling conference organizers. It seemed like a good idea to have the dogs go to a dog park, but that just meant the 32 housewives and bro dudes were arrested for pot because they just had to get out of the house. Man, the dog park dogs were all bailed out, but the people had to sober up before being let out of jail. It was a night. No wonder they had to have a disclaiming question mark after the words fitness test and 6 a.m. on Sunday. There was also a session called How Not to Have a Tick Encounter, and my first thought was, this is a super short session. Just don't go in the woods. (laughs) Ooh, actually, I have a great idea. Bring your own SAR service possum to eat all the ticks while you're riding horseback looking for the missing. Ha ha! Problem solved. I'm solidly on this idea. But all joking aside, Dogs and horses and other animals that we cover on this show can be trained to find an odor, whether it's dope, accelerant, whale poop, missing kids, cadavers, mushrooms, truffles, your car keys, anything at all. 
in my classes, they are looking for specific essential oils on a Q-tip. The theory, broadly speaking, is the same. Hit on an odor that is paired with food or a high-value object, like, again, their ball, then start to take the ball and food away. Give that, then, as a reward for finding the odor, the person, the Q-tip, whatever. Animals figure this out remarkably fast. The chances of not finding something or someone is actually significantly higher than finding something or someone. But remember, that not finding someone or something is still crucial information. When an animal does not find what they are looking for, especially when the search is on for someone who needs help now, the search can be immediately concentrated to other areas. Not here, look over there and speed up the search. It's so hard to keep in mind where things aren't is so important, equally important as to where things are. But when the animal does find something or someone, that's significantly more rewarding to everyone involved, especially the recently found. So thanks for joining me today on Bewilder Beasts. Do you know the drill yet? I bet you do. If there are topics that you would be interested in hearing about on the show, shout it out. And if you're a Patreon subscriber and want an episode, tell me what you like. I'm happy to write one just for you. Have you done one before? That's fine. Just send me more. It's okay. If you know of any historical animals who changed the world, animals who help humans, or animals who are also saving Timmy in a well, send them in to bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Tweet at Bewildered Pod, Bewilder Beast Pod on Facebook, and Bewilder Beast on Instagram. And my favorite method, BewilderBeastPod.com. Click that little button on the right side of your screen and just talk. It's great. I can hear your voice. I get a voice memo from you. You get to say your thing. Everything is great. I've got a couple of those memos, and they were both really encouraging and really sweet. So thanks, y'all. Patreon folk, y'all can use the messaging op- option in the app to send a little note, vote on things, whatever. You know how the internet works. You're good at this, right? Anyway, I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath with Mutt Stuff Media trying to figure out how to expense a horse. So I'm done for today. Let's go get curious. I got today's information from newscentermain.com, wikipedia.org on mounted search and rescue, oregonlive.com, dailybulldog.com, mainmountedsar.org, PressHerald.com, MeasuringStuff.com, because the Measure of Things website was down. Boo! MainSearchAndRescue.org conference. And that's it. Links, as always, are in the description of today's episode. Intro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz. Interstitial music is by MK2. Additional music provided by Pixabay, Freesound.org, and introducing HappySoulMusic.com. Thanks, guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe, review and share with your curious friends. And if you want more of these stories, go to patreon.com slash bewilderbeastspod. Thank you so much for listening. Want to do this next week? Hey, me too. Let's do this thing. Until then, bye-bye. Theodore Roosevelt, good old President Teddy Ruzzi, had hunting guides who used horses trained to follow their noses to buffalo. He hired them specifically for the horses' noses. (laughs) 
You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.